and welcome to the Hormonal Mama podcast. Today on the show, I am talking with Bridget Shannon and Dana Barron of the Wellness Lately podcast. We are talking today about how women have a lot of misconceptions on the best ways to take care of their body, and we're learning a lot about what taking care of your body means to them. So listen up. It is such a great conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I am so excited to have you here. Thank you for being here today. Oh, thank you so much for that warm welcome. It's really nice to be here with you. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, excited to be here. Oh, it is my absolute pleasure. Um, So, you know, there's a bunch of stuff I wanted to talk with you guys about today, but I really think a good place to start is really understanding what exactly it means to you guys, at least, to be a holistic health coach. I know that you are both holistic health coaches and... I find that it kind of has different meaning for different people. So I'd love to hear from each of you um, what that means for you, what that is in your eyes. Yeah, good. Que- it's a good question because I think that there are some not only misconceptions, but I think different people have different definitions, right? So uh, to at least to me personally, I think a coach in particular is someone who helps people identify what they already know. So, you know, helps Uh them really dig into their, their own body's wisdom, especially when we're talking about health, right. And, um, really pull up what they know to be true and what they have always known. It's just been sort of stuffed down. In our case, we help women escape the diet mentality and, you know, stop listening Uh to everyone else's rules when it comes to food and their bodies and tune into that intuitive wisdom. So in terms of our coaching practice, we help women really reconnect with their body's wisdom and start to tune into that as opposed to someone else's guidelines or diet culture's guidelines. Right. So, um, and I think holistic health for us in the sense of what we do means, Uh, that we look at health in a way that encompasses multiple factors, not just what we're eating, right? Or just how we're moving our body. So we look at things like stress levels and environment and all these other determinants of health that really impact how we feel. Um, And that gets sort of muddled in the wellness industry in particular with food and movement, right? We tend to see a lot of information about what we're eating and a lot of rules around, you know, just do this and then you're Mm going to feel great and everything will be perfect and just eat this way. And, you know, it's that simple when in reality, there's so many other things that affect how we feel and affect our well-being, And that includes some genetic components too, right? So we look at the big picture, all of that in, uh, in holistic health coaching and, um, and really start to tune into our body's wisdom and help our clients reconnect with that. I, Love that. And I love that because there is this bizarre thing in our culture where everyone seems to think, okay, I'm going to follow this exact diet plan or this, you know, exercise plan or or this, and everything's going to be perfect. It doesn't really work that way because we're all so different, especially women. We are, you know, I feel like as women, we all have these things in common, right? But when it comes down to it, we're all very individual in every way. So hearing you say, you know, the particular thing that you said that I just really resonates with me is sort of tuning into your body's wisdom. It's, it's such a great way to word it because your body knows, 
what it needs. Just your brain doesn't always understand that until you break it down and really get it. So I think that's a really cool approach and such a great description of what you do. So I would really like to talk. I know, you know, it's really, really difficult having a baby, <laughs> as we all know. Um, and it's it's really difficult, I think, for a lot of women um, to kind of feel like their body is where they want it to be. And I think, you know, at least for me, I think that kind of falls into two categories. You want to have the body you had before pregnancy, which isn't always going to happen. Um, and okay, I have this new body is sort of the other way. How do I feel comfortable in it? So I would really love to talk about how you, you know, what your approach would be to finding true health after having a baby. And like I said, I know this can feel super impossible, but I know you have insight there. So I'd really love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think the first, there's a couple of things. And I think it really starts with unpacking the narratives that Mm -hmm. we're living our lives by. So in our culture, we have this bounce back narrative that we are supposed to somehow snap back into the body that we quote unquote had before we had a baby. Um, So there's that pressure on us, right? As soon as we have a baby, there's so much, you know, predatory marketing and so many messages and from friends and pressure we put on ourselves to shrink back down, right? Mm -hmm. To what we looked like before. Um, And then there's also narratives around motherhood in our you know, modern life, that um, this is supposed to be the happiest, most joyful, fulfilling time in our lives when really it is the most challenging. Mm -hmm. And we don't have the villages that we used to have. We don't have the communities we used to have that would help us in these in these really difficult seasons of life. So I think the first thing is just like noticing these two things. Yeah, right. Noticing that we think we're supposed to be full of joy, even though we're sleep deprived and we feel like shit. <laughs> we think we're supposed to love every moment of our squishy little baby when in reality, early motherhood sucks so much on so many levels, as well as, you know, bringing great joy and connection and purpose, but it sucks. <laughs> and like, it's really hard. And just like, let's just be honest about that first so that we can get rid of this meta layer of shame that we have, right? Mm-hmm. Cause that shame is so isolating and we're already isolated. So that is one piece is just like to cut ourselves a break and mm-hmm. recognize that it's really hard and that it's not supposed to be perfect. And mm-hmm. we're not supposed to be happy all the time. Right. Um, the second piece of this, when we're actually talking about health, we need to separate health and what our body looks like. Cause those are two very different things. Yes. And, um, Um, If we really want to talk about health, especially early motherhood, um, we need to be talking about mental and emotional health, I think, first and foremost, right? Let's not worry (laughs) about losing weight. Let's not worry about working out again. Let's make sure that we are having our physical needs met, which often it's hard to even run to the bathroom. It's hard to have a shower. It's hard to have quality food that's easily accessible. It's hard to get sleep. Like, are these things being covered? And then- do we have emotional support? If we have the resources and privilege to access it, do we have mental health support from a professional? Do we have supportive partners or family members or a community around us because it's impossible to be well and do early motherhood alone, Mm -hmm. right? So like, let's actually look at health, which is a very different thing than your pre-pregnancy genes fitting again. Definitely. Um, So that's where I would start is just to be like, Let's really get clear on what we're talking about when we're talking about health in the early stages of motherhood. 
I totally agree. I, I, I think you just said that in such a great way because it's important. You. I mean, I remember, you know, like I said, my kids are two. It's crazy to say that out loud, but man, that first year, those first few months, I was like, what, what is this life? I don't know how to mm-hmm. function. Like, how am I ever going to sleep again? How am I ever going to stand up straight and see straight? And how am I going to raise these kids? What is, oh my God. And it becomes overwhelming. Then you get to that point where you start looking at your body and feeling like, okay, I'm completely different than I used to be. Yeah. I mean, if, if your expectation is that your body shouldn't be different, you might be more upset than if you acknowledge the massive, profound transition, yeah. right? There's like a, a missing piece in our culture of really honoring and appreciating the transitions of a woman's life, Yes, right? We don't we don't celebrate there's stigma around like getting your first period and Mm -hmm. having a baby and going through menopause. Like if we could actually like honor and celebrate these transitions, as opposed to always wanting to look like our 17 year old selves or whatever it is, we would feel a lot better. Right. I agree. And I just, I just have to kind of mention because what you're saying is just speaking to me very deeply because when my kids were about, I want to say about 10 months old, I went through this. Oh my gosh, I am still 20 pounds over my pre-pregnancy weight and I've got this belly and like I had a C-section. So, you know, I've got this, I don't care about the scar, but you know, my belly hangs over it. Oh my gosh, I can't. So I have to work out. And I started doing P90, which was like the worst possible thing for me to do. And it took me months to realize what am I doing? Like, I know logically this makes no sense. What am I doing? I, I had babies. My body is different. And now, you know, my kids are almost two and I look in the mirror, I'm like, hello, body. I like you. You're different. And that's okay. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not a kid anymore. You know, I'm in my forties. I'm not in my early twenties where my body is completely different and bounces back at me. Pregnancy, it's different, obviously, but just resonating with me, what you're saying is that realization that your body's not going to be what it used to be. That's part of life anyway. That's just part of aging. But especially when something as big as pregnancy and giving birth happens to your body, it doesn't just happen. You know, there's a whole transition and realizing that is the first step. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I am right there with you. I have a three and a half year old and a 20 month old. So I'm in the same sort of season of life as you. And um, yeah. And then, you know, when we can recognize this, we can look at our health in terms of respecting and appreciating and taking care of the body we have today, Mm -hmm. as opposed to pining or restricting or punishing ourselves in this omnipresent quest to get back to a body that like get get it back. Like, where did it go? You're in a body right now. Yep. So like, let's stop punishing ourselves and calling it health and doing P90, which your body is probably not ready for at 10 months, maybe mm-hmm. for some women. Right. And this is not, not to me. shame women whose bodies do quote unquote bounce back. Right. right. Like there's, but it's different for everyone. And just like, it's really disrespectful to our current body to punish it like that and force it into exercise. It's not ready for or restrict its food. And then we expect to wind up in a body that we love and feel great in when we're battling it every day, right? So when we're talking about health, again, it's like, are we talking about health? Are we talking about weight loss? Because it's two very different things. Mm -hmm. And um, it leads to very different intentions and very different behaviors. Sure Um, does. So yeah, there's a lot tangled up in it. Oh, there is. And, And I just like what you said about health and weight loss, two very different things. And as women, 
I don't know if it's, I mean, I know a lot of what it is. It's a lot of, you know, media stuff and, you know, everybody wants to look like this celebrity and that celebrity, but the truth is our bodies are all different and your weight has nothing to do with your health. It just yeah, doesn't. Yeah, I mean, we live in a diet culture that yep. has a very strong anti-fat bias. So we're all terrified of gaining weight. We're terrified of not losing weight. We're terrified yep. of, um, you know, feeling out of control around food or emotional eating because that we equate with weight gain and poor health and moral failure and all of, all of the things, right? So yes. <laughs> unpacking that to begin with is a good place to start. I agree. So let me ask you this then, you know, we're talking about, you know, losing weight and health and this all ties into body image, which, you know, is such a huge thing. I mean, it affects men too. And, and I don't ever want to gloss over that because, you know, I'm a woman, so I can only speak from a woman's perspective, but body image is such a common issue for us. I've, you know, I've had body image issues my entire life, even while I love my body at the same time. Um, but I, I'd like to know from your perspective, some ways that that women can improve their body image, you know, and in, you know, we're talking right now, obviously about, you know, after giving birth, but in general, I mean, I think there are different things at different points in your life affected by so many external factors anyway. But but tell me your thoughts on that. You know, what are some things that women can do to improve this complicated Bobby, Bobby, body image um, that, that they might be struggling with? Yeah. I mean, the first thing we really look at is how are you speaking to yourself, right? Like what is the mm-hmm. conversation in your head? What's that inner dialogue, right? Because if we are walking around treating ourselves with disrespect, calling ourselves ugly, telling ourselves that our bodies aren't, don't look right or aren't the right size, then we're going to walk around feeling pretty crappy all day. Right. So we have to really notice our self-talk and what we always do with our clients is shift that to a more compassionate place. So self-compassion is like one of the foundations for body image work. We have to work on the self-compassion and just starting to notice the thoughts you have is a really good place to start. Just starting to pay attention because so often women really don't even realize just how mean to themselves they're being. So, um, so that's the first step. And we of course break down some of these cultural narratives, right. That we're talking about now, what is the message that we're getting from the media where, how is it impacting us? So perhaps looking at something like your social media feed and, and noticing how it makes you feel to scroll through Instagram. If you're seeing the same body type or messages about what your body should look like. Right. So we start with some social media detoxing and look Mm -hmm. at the media messages that we're getting. Um, And then we also look at what are your personal beliefs in terms of what you learned from a very young age. So what is your operating system like, right? Because often if we're struggling with body image, we have grown up with very specific ideas or messages about how we're supposed to look and why. So for Mm -hmm. example, I grew up in a pretty weight centric quote unquote, health conscious household. So the message I was getting from a really young age was that my body needed to be improved, or if it was not the right size, here's how to fix it. Because in order to be happy and healthy and confident and successful, I needed to be thin or I needed to be attractive. So understanding what the beliefs that you hold are can be a really Mm -hmm. helpful place to start because then we can start to shift those beliefs into something more positive, more empowering and treat ourselves with more self-compassion. And that's sort of, you know, a 
bigger process than just what we're talking about here. It takes some work. It takes some practice and really digging into those beliefs, but even just writing them out, writing a list of what are the thoughts that I'm having every day? Like, what are the beliefs that I'm operating with can be really clarifying to understand where your body image is right now. Um, and then there's also some really practical things that we can do too. So am I wearing clothes that fit? that feel comfortable every day or, or is Mm -hmm. my clothing a constant source of body checking, right? Am I wearing pants that are always cutting into me and reminding me that my, (laughs) you know, my body's too big, right? So what are we wearing? Um, and you know, things like mirror checking or weighing yourself, anything that's really reminding you, or, you know, you, you're, you're using it as a measuring device of how, uh, of where you are and what needs to be fixed. Those are all things that we want to look at. And uh, if it's possible or safe or accessible to you, maybe getting rid of the scale, maybe mm-hmm. if it's possible, buying some clothes that fit and feel good, right? So there's different things we work on with different people based on their circumstances and where they are and their specific challenges. But those are those are some pretty good places to start in terms of the body image. I think that's, that's just great. And, and it, it, you know, I, I just kind of want to mention two things that popped into my head while you're talking about, you know, two specific things. One, it seems so obvious, but hearing you say, you know, checking the clothes that you're wearing, are they comfortable? I mean, that's such a huge thing that we don't think about because right. we're so concerned about fitting into that size, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's interesting, you know, for me, Honestly, it's going it, to, maybe it won't sound weird to you. I don't know. It sounds weird to some people, but for me, becoming a mom and having this postpartum body is what allowed me to stop worrying about the size of my clothes. That's what has gotten me to a point where I'm just like, I don't care what size it is. Is it comfortable? Great. Is it not comfortable? Why, why am I even going to try it on? Like, what's the point? These jeans that fit me three years ago, they don't fit me now. Why am I going to keep trying them on? I like my leggings. I like my yoga pants. I like whatever. I I still wear a lot of my maternity clothes because guess what? They're comfortable. I might wear them for another 10 years. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But that's the point. Are you comfortable in what you're wearing? That makes a huge difference. And again, it seems obvious and we don't think about it as an obvious thing. Yeah. And also to your point, you know, it's, it's awesome that you, uh, that this has helped you care less about the size on your clothing for a lot of people. That's not the case, right? A lot Mm -hmm. of people, it feels terrifying to go up a dress size or to buy a bigger size than what they have. And so that's where we really work with the mindset around that, right? What does it mean for me to buy a bigger size? So what, what is the implication of that? Right. And that's where we can really dig into like what their beliefs are and what they're operating with, but that's what we have to shift, right? Why is it so terrifying and why is it so wrong to buy a size up in clothing? And of course, a lot of that has to do with our cultural narratives, right? About what that means. But, um, it's a really, it's, it's something that so many women are, trapped in this narrative around certain sizing and, you know, those, the numbers that are like, can really cause us to spiral when we, Mm -hmm. you know, try on a pair of pants and it doesn't fit. Right. So, and it's also like sizing is so weird and arbitrary. (laughs) Like you might go to one clothing store and have one size and then go to the next one and it's like completely different or even within the same store. So, um, we have to start just what we do is work with women to, care less about that, or at least 
when we have those moments, they don't cause us to spiral into the self-harm of dieting, right? We know how to, they're going to happen. They're going to come up, but we know how to handle them. We know how to speak to ourselves and still buy the thing that is comfortable and fits us well. Um, as opposed to saying, okay, well, tom- that's it tomorrow. I'm going back to dieting because mm-hmm. I can't possibly accept my body in, in this size. Right. So, right. And it is a struggle. It's a huge struggle. And I'll tell you, for me, my entire life has been a struggle with that, you know, and it's, it's hard. I, you know, the other thing I I, ties into this that I wanted to mention that made me think when I was in high school, I was a cheerleader and I, you know, I'm not a small person. I'm not tall, but I'm not petite, whatever. And in high school, there, for me, there was so much stress around the cheerleaders who were smaller and got thrown up in the air. And I, they tried to put me up once and my coach, you know, her exact words were, you're just too thick. You're just, you're, you're solid. You're too thick. And I remember that haunted me for years. And it's interesting now, you know, thinking about how much that affected me because it wasn't my own thought. It was how someone else was viewing me and how I should have been fitting in with, you know, some of the other cheerleaders. Now, not everyone was petite, you know, whatever, what does petite even mean? And you know what I mean? Like, but, you know, just in this conversation, it's interesting because I think it's important to think of those things that happened maybe earlier in your life that affected your own perspective on your body. And ultimately- you know, sorry to know. Yeah. I mean, I think, no, it's okay. I think what you're touching on is like as women and we're very comfortable with that generalization that this affects women more than men. It's true. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it is true. And what you're touching on is this idea that like our culture from a very young age teaches women that being thin and beautiful is how we access resources and love and security and success and all the good things in life. And we learn from a very young age to, Um, Mm self-objectify. So now we're not in our bodies, especially sports like cheerleading or dance that are judged from, you know, appearance. Um, Those are really great ways to self-objectify because you are literally being objectified by your coach, by the people, you know, you're performing in front of. And so we start to look at ourselves as if we're perceiving ourselves as an object from the outside, as opposed to an entire individual on the inside. So that puts an enormous amount of pressure on how we look. Mm -hmm. And so we believe that being as thin as possible and meeting the beauty ideals as much as possible is the most important thing that we can do. And that puts so much pressure on how we eat and how we move our bodies and all of it. Um, And I think that the biggest misconception with body image work is that the goal is to love how you look. And that's not the case, mm-hmm. right? And that puts so much pressure on us to like fix our body image as if it's like this static location that we can reach. Yeah. And really what we're doing is practicing body neutrality to just say, I just don't want to hate my body anymore. I just don't want to think about how I look all the time anymore, right? So the goal is not to love how we look. It's to think about how we look less Mm -hmm. and to de-emphasize the importance of our appearance, right? Otherwise body, body positivity is just like adding this meta layer of shame because now I don't like my body and now I feel bad that I don't like my body when really let's just stop thinking about our bodies so much because there's so much more to us. Like how we look is the least interesting thing about us. I want to clap because you're so right. I mean, you're so right. It's so, oh, I'm going to just keep repeating myself, but you are so right about that. And that is so very important. And we don't think about that aspect very often about, you know, we just obsess about this so much, but gosh, there's so much more 
to us than that. That's just such a small yeah, part of Yeah, and like we if are. we if we think the goal is to love our cellulite or to love our stretch marks or to love being in a bigger size pants, that feels so inaccessible when you're in body shame mm-hmm. that most people don't want to do that work because it just sounds ridiculous. Right. I can't love this body. Let me shrink this body. Let me quote unquote tone this body up and then I can work on loving this body. But the idea is to love ourselves and respect and appreciate our bodies regardless of how they look. Yeah. Right. And it's a very, very different practice to just go like you can't hate your way into a body you love you have to respect it and appreciate it and take care of it first and de-emphasize the importance of it of its appearance right and then you get to actually start to feel a difference in how you feel about your body darn right (laughs) and exactly that's the key and I, I love that I think that's really powerful and it's just such a different approach than what we're used to so I think that's great um so I would love for you guys to tell me more about your podcast wellness lately which is an awesome very popular podcast which is super cool um but i'd love for you to tell our listeners more about your podcast you know kind of what what you guys talk about what is important to you on your podcast yeah well thanks for the kind words that's so nice yeah. um the podcast really started uh i think as a way for us to just have conversations with cool people and um and it was you know a fun project for us but what we I think what we've realized a couple things that we've realized one is as we're talking about today this wellness industry that we have is so focused on just what we eat and um how we're moving for the sake of improving our appearance that is often masked by health right that that Mm -hmm. these wellness protocols, um, are for health when in reality, there's a lot of focus on how we look. Right. So, um, what we try to do is have conversations that expand beyond just what we're eating, how we're moving. Of course, that's a piece of it, but really to talk about all the, the things that affect our, our well-being. And we are obviously focused in intuitive eating and body image since that's the work that we do. And we try to really spread this message of here, if you want to improve your relationship with food, with your relationship with your body, here's how to actually do that as opposed to all of this, you know, wellnessy stuff, all of diet cultures, protocols around how to improve your quote unquote health. It's actually not really helping anyone. It's actually for a lot of people, very harmful and making things worse. Yeah. So we are trying to talk about uh, real wellness and reclaiming that from diet culture is a big piece of our mission. Um, and the other thing that we've really realized, I think, is just uh, such a lack of representation in the wellness space. There's you over and over again see the same type of person, right? It's a very thin woman, usually white woman, able-bodied, cisgender, right? So we tend to... Um, we try to make our show as inclusive as possible and say, Hey, wellness is so much more than just this one beauty standard that we keep seeing in this industry. Mm-hmm. And that's actually keeping the wellness industry in a really inaccessible place for everyone. Right. So we try to bring a little, uh, I think light to that aspect and, um, and just have conversations with people who are making the industry as a whole more, more inclusive for everyone. I think that's amazing. Because it does, it does need to be. I mean, you just worded that in such a great way because it is not as inclusive as it should be. You know, there, there's so many people who aren't seeing themselves represented and that gives the impression that, well, you just can't get help then. Mm-hmm. And you just 
you know, you, you don't matter. And that's just not true. We all matter. And having that representation and accessibility to everyone is so important. So I, I, I love hearing that. That's really, that makes me really happy. I have little tears in my eyes here because it's just a wonderful thing to see, you know, and, and I like, you know, it's, it's hard. It's a weird sentence to say, but I like that. It seems like the world is trying to go in that direction of accessibility and representation and really inclusiveness. I hope that we continue to head in that direction. So being, you know, two people who really, really want to make that effort, um, to make a difference in the wellness space. You know, I've, I've been in the wellness industry for 19 years now. And, you know, most of my career, I've been a massage therapist and an esthetician. And it's always been so important to me that like everybody can feel like it doesn't matter who you are. Wellness is important to your life. And wellness, as we know, is a whole, a whole body, mind, spirit, you know, everything together. And when you can feel like, okay, other people want to make sure that I'm getting, you know, that I'm taking care of myself in the right way. It's just powerful. So I think that's really, really cool. Thanks. Yeah. And we also, you know, just to kind of tack onto that, like we we're trying to shift the narrative about what wellness actually is, right? Because mm-hmm. we see so much, you know, there's, there's crystals and jade eggs and like beauty products and all of these things that really are not only inaccessible for a lot of people and and really just come from a place of privilege, but also aren't actually helping us collectively be well, right? They're not actually solving any problems or talking about what wellness actually is. And like we have talked about wellness is so much more than just, you know, what we look like or what we eat or what we are, how we're moving. Like it is talking about mental health and our emotional well-being and our body image and you know, there's all of the non-Instagrammable parts of wellness. So we're, we're trying to really shift that narrative. And I do think you're right. I think it is shifting. We certainly still have a long way to go, but, um, as, as much as we can do that, we'll keep contributing to it and, uh, and trying to please do the needle. Please do (laughs) keep, keep doing it because it's, it's, it's wonderful. And I think that's great. Um, so, Let's change gear here and and talk about some of my silly fun questions that you know I love asking people because I have you know an interesting idea of what's entertaining to me. But um, I told you guys before, you know, you choose if you both want to answer. You only only one of you wants to answer. Um, I've just got a couple of fun things to ask you. So my first one, I'll, actually, I'll give you both because they're similar questions, and you know sometimes people have the same answer for both. First one is if you could have a dinner party or hangout or lunch, walk on the beach, whatever it is, whatever relaxing activity you enjoy with three people dead or alive, fictional or real related to you, not related to you. They don't even have to be people. They can be animated characters. They could be Muppets or whatever. Um, Who would they be and why? And the other part is who are the three people in your life that have had the most influence on you? So I will let you guys answer and and take your time here. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I thought about this. Um, for me, one of them would have to be my dad because he passed away when I was 18. So I can't really skip that part. Yeah. Um, it would be awesome to be able to connect with him. Um, but then I was thinking about this and RBG. Mm. Yeah. Oh, look at her. She's right there. Because I feel like she was just such a like quiet assassin yes. of women's rights. For and, sure. Um, 
I just feel like she had a very interesting approach to what I would assume felt insurmountable Mm -hmm. back in her day. Uh, We have to remember it wasn't very long ago that women couldn't have their own credit cards and mind blowing. uh, Yeah. Like I just, I think that like, it can't be understated how much she's done for the well-being of women everywhere. So I would love to pick her brain for a little while. And then, um, I don't know why, but Nelson Mandela keeps coming to mind because mm-hmm. I just think his story is so interesting. And like, how can you spend 27 years in prison and then still change the world that way? Yeah. Like, I just, I just want to tap his brain for a minute <laughs> to find out and to like, again, like an insurmountable cultural challenge. Like, how does one do that? Yeah. And I would love to, I would just love to soak up some of that wisdom. So I think those would be my three to make a lot of sense. And the third, I think is a little random for me, yep. but that's okay. Uh, yeah. Those are my people. That's what came to mind when I thought of this. That sounds like a really awesome dinner party or, or lunch or whatever. To me, I would totally sit there in the corner and be like, you don't know that I'm here, but I'm just going to watch because yeah. this is a really interesting <laughs> conversation. That's, that's, That's really cool. I like that. I mean, I know it's such a personal question, but it's always so interesting. I feel like it could probably change too. Oh, for sure. Season of life to season of life. But yeah, that's where I'm at today. Yeah. Well, RBG is also one of mine. (laughs) We share that icon, I think for the same obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, The other that comes to mind is my grandfather who I never met um he died before I was born but everyone always talks about how wonderful he was and uh and how much of an impact he has made on their lives so I would love to get a chance to meet him and Mm -hmm. um and hear his story and then the other one um for me is Albert Einstein I mean it's Mm. that was my I was on my list too and it didn't make the top three of course um I just really love I mean you know, I'm not even really a science person. And as a physicist, you might, it might sound kind of strange, but I just really love his approach to imagination and Uh creativity and just like, I don't know, the concept of, of relativity. Like, how do you even come up with that? How do you even start thinking about how to solve problems or challenges (laughs) or approach something like that? Um, and I just think he's a fascinating character. So, uh, that would be my crew another dinner party that I would just want to peek into for a minute. What are you guys talking about? Yeah. I learn a little bit. That sounds really interesting. That That's really cool. I love it. And how about your uh, three most influential people? I like that one too. That one's always fascinating to me. Um, yeah. I mean, I definitely think my parents, so those two, because, um, you know, for, for better or worse, I feel like, you know, I was raised with both of them in my household. They were married, you know, until my dad passed and stuff. So like, I think it's kind of inescapable Mm -hmm. that they've had the most impact on me. Um, and then, you know, I think probably like my lifelong best friend, Molly, again, for better or worse, Mm -hmm. (laughs) if, uh, um, cause I just think you are impacted by the people that are around you the most. Right. So like their personality, their interests, their opinions, they just kind of seep into your bones. So I think, and we've been best friends since we were three and I'm 38 now. So I can relate to that. So I think, yeah. So I think those three probably have had the biggest impact for sure. That's awesome. Bridget, what about you? Definitely my parents as well. I mean, again, also for better or worse, but I think (laughs) when I think in terms of, you know, the way that I am just purely out of, uh, out of 
I don't know, impact, I guess that would be the first thing that comes to mind, especially, um, especially my dad, I think in terms of how I approach things Mm -hmm. and how I think about things and my career and all that. And then my mom, of course, has had a major impact on the work that we do today, honestly, so that I just can't escape that really. (laughs) Um, but, and then the other two people, I, I, I think I loop, I think I would lump that into one person if, if you will mm-hmm, allow of me course. to, um, and, and then the other two that come to mind are actually writers, um, Nora Ephron and Joan Didion both have had a massive impact on, um, the way that I think about things. I mean, I would, I would also love to talk to Joan Didion just to get her take on self-respect and, um, the year of magical thinking really changed my life in terms of approaching hard situations and getting through challenges, you you know, even though that the challenge that she went through challenges she went through are nothing are incomparable, but I think, um, just life lessons, Mm -hmm. those two would be really wonderful resources. And I have everything is I've had everything is copy, which is a quote from Nora Ephron on my desk since I went to journalism school, because I learned, uh, from reading that, like, no matter what happens, there's always a story here. There's something that can be learned. There's something that can be shared. There's some, this is not a problem. This is not something to worry about. It's something to see in a different way. Um, so those are the, the two that come to mind. That's awesome. I mean, again, these are such personal questions. So it's, it's easy for me to say, well, that's amazing. And I love those answers, but I do love them because it's such a cool thing for me to sort of hear how people think and and what is important to them. And that's just, to me, it's, it's such a fun, fun thing. My last question for you guys, and this one's silly, and this is just a weird thing that I'm fascinated by is nicknames. I love, I love hearing people's stories because I, I say this in like every episode, but I always find the vast majority of the time people fall into two categories. They either, well, three categories. They either love nicknames to the point where it's like their favorite thing. They hate nicknames and are annoyed by them, or they're just kind of like, whatever, you know, either way. I don't Why is it even a question? But it's something I'm fascinated by. I don't even love nicknames. I love the concept of how people react to them. So do either of you have a nickname? And if you do, what, what is it? And what's the story? I have a family nickname. Um, which is squig. Um, so my dad and my mom and all my uncles, like pretty much everybody calls me squig in my family. Um, because apparently when I was a baby, I wouldn't, I wouldn't stay still. <laughs> so like everybody was always afraid to hold me because I was always like squiggling <laughs> out. So they called me squig. And literally if I call my uncle, he still shouts like squiggy. <laughs> like everybody calls me squig. I love it. Um, yeah, all the adults in my family, my like cousins and my brother don't call me squig, but pretty much everybody else does. I love that. I think that's really, that's really cute and fun. What about you, Bridget? I don't have anything super fun. Um, I've always been bridged to my family. If I ever heard Bridget from one of my parents, I knew I was in deep, deep trouble. Um, (laughs) so that scares me to hear to this day. Um, but my friends from high school who I've been obviously friends with for since then for a long time, always call me B and never anything else. <laughs> so that's really the only, the closest thing to, I, ha- I have to that's a, nickname, a nickname, for um, sure. which is basically anything other than my full yeah. name. Yeah, I totally <laughs> but, understand. Uh, 
other than that, I probably fall into the third category of people that you mentioned. Yeah, which I told, and, and it's just, it's such a, an interesting topic to me. I don't know why. I've been fascinated by this since I was a little kid, nicknames. Why it fascinates me? No clue, but um, um, do you have any? I do. I have so many nicknames. It's ridiculous. Most people call me Care instead of Kara, and I don't know if that's laziness or what. But my my two favorite nicknames are Caribou, and mostly my aunt Denise calls me Caribou. Most other people don't, but she's called me that since I was little, little. And then Caribee because my maiden name is Bendler, and my mom called me Caribee when I was little. Usually you know, like Caribbee, like she was really annoyed with me. Like, oh, I'm not listening, you know, or I didn't get out of bed when I said, yeah, I'm getting getting out of bed, getting ready for school. And, you know, I'm still laying in bed sleeping and she's like, Caribbee. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've got others, you know, I've got, my husband has 7,000 nicknames for me and, you know, my friends, no, no, my friends all mostly call me care. Occasionally they call me Kara and I don't know who they're talking to because I'm like, yeah. what no that's not my name what are you talking about but yeah and and maybe that's why I find them so fascinating because I've I used to be more interested in nicknames when I was younger like in my 20s and I had nicknames for everybody and none of them were ever related to their names I just would come up with random stuff and people after a while were like okay enough we're, we're done with the nicknames Kara and so for me now it's just Maybe it's anecdotal or something. I'm not sure, but I just think it's such an interesting thing because, you know, nicknames are also very personal. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the special things I think about humans is how we have these personal connections with people and they, you know, come up with ways to communicate with us. It's just something so fascinating. But thank you. Thank you for asking me that. Mm -hmm. I appreciate it. Um, So lastly here. Where can our listeners um, connect with you guys and learn more about you and the work that you do and your podcast? You guys do a lot of really awesome things. So tell us where people can find you. Yeah, I mean, you can find all of that at wellnesslately.com. That's our home base on the internet. Um, our podcast is Wellness Lately. Um, and for your listeners, like if you are looking to heal that relationship with food and your body, we do have a free intro class on our site. And that's at wellnesslately.com slash masterclass. And that'll take you through like the five mindset shifts that we had touched on today about healing your relationship with food and your body. Because for most women, when we're talking about wellness, that fraught relationship with food is actually standing in the way, right? You feel like you know everything to do, but you just can't seem to do it for some reason. You can't stick to the plan or you always feel like you make some progress for a few days and then blow it. Like if that's you, um, wellnesslately.com slash masterclass is probably the best place to start to hear our philosophy and get some tips to get started healing your relationship with food. Um, And then we're at uh, Instagram at Uh, Sorry. Yeah. At wellness underscore lately. (laughs) I always mess that up. Um, And then we also have a, um, a Facebook group where we jump in and we do free coaching each week and stuff like that. And if you just search wellness lately, it it should pop up. It's a, it's a free intuitive eating support group and we'll let you in and you can get started there as well. Awesome. Well, I just want to thank you guys for taking the time out of your day to talk with me and to, you know, give our listeners a a good idea of what you do and and some things that they can do for themselves. So thank you both so much for being here with me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having us. It was great to, uh, great to chat. We really appreciate it.